0: All right, well, uh, the, um, the, one, the one thing that every Yom Kippur uh, service has in common with another, or one Yom Kippur message has in common with another, was noted to be uh, by my middle child today. Uh, many of you know my middle child, and you know that she does not have a filter. Right. She thinks it, and she says it, and there's, there's no step in between there. There's no, uh, maybe I should not say this, right? So she said that the the one thing about Yom Kippur services is that they are unbearably long. To which I said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. (laughs) Amen? Amen. All right, so strap in. Here we go. Uh, First of all, as a note... Right? Uh, we have the words of the prophets made more certain. Uh, today, you will hear me um, bring in some, uh, some non-scriptural sources into my sermon. I think they're relevant and applicable, right? Um, do not think that uh, we've got some weirdness going on here, like, oh, sure, this book is inspired just like C.S. Lewis is inspired. No, this book is breathed out by the very Spirit of God, Right, transmitted to us by faithful men. Right? We have excellent confidence in the words of the Scripture, and we know that not one of them will fall to the ground. Right? However, right, these, the, the outside sources are, are meant not to try to buttress Scripture, which needs no buttress, right? which stands on its own, right? but to show that Scripture is a realistic description of, among other things, the human condition, right? The, uh, our uh, scripture is preserved by the spirit, right? And our our faith, the trust that we have, is based on reality, all right? It is based in truth, right? Truth is that which is consistent with reality. Truth, beauty, goodness, right? The three transcendent values. They are transcendent because they transcend mankind. And our faith, our faith is based on that reality, not despite that reality, but indeed because of that reality, right? The central central truth of our faith is that approximately 2,000 years ago, there was an empty tomb. That is truth, that happened. So, uh, do be do be patient with my uh, with my uh, extra biblical references. <clears throat> I think they're appropriate. <clears throat> Sorry if you're fasting and you see me drinking in front of you. It, uh, it's more attractive than an IV bag, and it should uh, enable my voice to uh, do its job for tonight. So. After having a a defense of uh, non scriptural material, let's open the scriptures and read from them, right? The public reading of the scriptures. We are indeed fortunate to live in a society where everyone is literate, right? That wasn't the case for some of our ancestors, but uh, nonetheless, the public reading of the scriptures. So do me a favor open with me to Leviticus, the place where Bible studies go to die. Leviticus 16, and we'll just go ahead and read the whole chapter. Now, Adonai spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they offered a profane fire before Adonai, and they died. And Adonai said, tell Aaron your brother not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark, lest he die, for I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. Thus, Aaron shall come into the holy place with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering and of a ram as a burnt offering, and he shall put the holy linen tunic on. He will gird himself with the linen trousers on his body. He shall be girded with a linen sash and a linen turban with which he shall be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore, he shall wash his body in water and put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats as a sin offering and one ram as a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself, and he will make atonement for himself and for his house. He will take two of the goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And then Aaron will cast lots for the two goats, one lot for Adonai and the other for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat on which Adonai's lot fell and offer it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before Adonai to make atonement upon it and to let it go as a scapegoat into the wilderness. And Aaron shall bring the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and he will make atonement for himself and for his house, and he shall kill the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself. Then he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from the altar before Adonai with his hands full of sweet incense beaten fine and bring it inside the veil. And he shall put the incense on the fire before Adonai that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony, lest he die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle with his finger on the mercy seat on the east. And before the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, bring its blood inside the veil. Do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. So he shall make atonement for the holy place, because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel, and because of their transgressions, for all of their sins. And so he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. And there shall be no man in the tabernacle of meeting when he goes in to make atonement in the holy place, until he comes out, that he make atonement for himself, for his household, and for the assembly of Israel." And he shall go out to the altar that is before Adonai, and he will make atonement for it, and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar, and he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times, cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place, the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, then he shall bring the live goat, and Aaron will lay both of his hands on the head of the goat, Confess over it all of the iniquities of the children of Israel and all of their transgressions concerning all of their sins, putting them on the head of the goat, and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to an uninhabited land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. And then Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of meeting, take off the linen garments which he had put on when he went into the holy place and leave them there, and he shall wash his body with water in a holy place, put on his garments come out and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offerings of the people and make atonement for himself and for the people. The fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar. And he who released the goat as the scapegoat shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water and afterward he may come into the camp. The bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering whose blood was brought to make atonement into the holy place shall be carried outside the camp and they shall burn in the fire their skins, their flesh, and their offal. And then he who burns them will wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. This shall be a statute forever for you in the seventh month. On the tenth day of the month you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether a native of your own country or a stranger who dwells among you. For on that day the priest will make atonement for you to cleanse you, that you may be clean from all your sins before Adonai, it is a Sabbath of solemn rest for you, and you will afflict your souls, a statute forever. And the priest, who is anointed and consecrated to be a minister as priest in his father's place, shall make atonement and put on the linen clothes, the holy garments. Then he shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary. He shall make atonement for the tabernacle of meeting and for the altar. And he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. This shall be an everlasting statute for you, to make atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year." And he did as Adonai commanded Moshe. <clears throat> so, uh, if we were reading from the Torah scroll, which we are not today, but uh, if we were, there are some um, some keywords uh, that that you should know that you should reference as we uh, as we move through Yom Kippur. Right. First of all, anahah, anahah, to afflict right, the day of atonement, also a day of affliction, right, we are afflicting ourselves. The words you see translated as afflict is from the word anaha. Uh, next, of course, is kapura, right, to cover, right, yom kippur, right, kippur is the noun form of cover, so there is there is a covering going on. When you see the priest is making atonement, right, in English, we'd say, well, what's the verb? The verb is make. Well, in in uh, in the Torah scroll in Hebrew, the verb there would be, he's covering, he's he's covering, right? So that's the second word. Uh, finally, the third word that you would not have heard in this passage, but we'll talk about later, is the word duror, right? Duror means liberty, freedom. And we'll uh, we'll talk about that soon. All right. So uh, another passage we need to read, uh, Leviticus. I cuss, you cuss. We all cuss for Leviticus. Leviticus, they say, we don't like the jokes, we're all hungry, hurry up. Fair enough. Leviticus 23, we'll start in uh, verse 26, right? This is the Leviticus passage that's talking about the Moedim. So, an important one we have here. Adonai spoke to Moses, saying, Also, the tenth day of the seventh month shall be the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall afflict your souls and make an offering by fire to Adonai. You shall do no work on that same day, for it is the day of atonement, to make atonement for you before Adonai your God. For any person who is not afflicted on that day will be cut off from his people. And any person who does any work on that day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statute forever, throughout your generations, in all your dwellings. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest. You will afflict your souls on the ninth day of the month at evening, from evening to evening, right? So that's into the tenth day. You shall celebrate your Sabbath. <clears throat> and finally, let's read again from the book of Numbers. Numbers 29. Heaven's sakes, this fly. I will start in verse 7. On the tenth day of the seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall afflict your souls. You shall not do any work. You shall present a burnt offering to Adonai as a sweet aroma. One young bull, one ram, seven lambs in their first year. Be sure they are without blemish. The grain offering will be of fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for the bull, two-tenths for the one ram, and one-tenth for each of the seven lambs. Also one kid of the goats as a sin offering besides the sin offering for atonement. The regular burnt offering with its grain offerings and their drink offerings. Uh, so notice, notice that in these, in these days, these set apart times, right, um, I I believe that the word in modern Hebrew for appointment is still Moad, right, so we're, it's an appointed time to come together, right, notice that the commandment, first of all, is to afflict yourselves, right, this is the only day in the Torah in which we are commanded to afflict ourselves, right, second of all, one thing I'd like you to notice is that, uh, what, what is the commandment for the congregation? What does the congregation do? Congregation does nothing. Congregation rests. You rest. Right? What is the commandment for the priest, for Aaron, for the high priest that year? He's got a lot of work to do, right? He's working, 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 working. Do this. Do that. Go in here. Do this. Come back out. Change your clothes. Do this. Do that. Agreed? Right? So... Right, the writer of the book of Hebrews is going to make this very clear to us, but we should we should have taken note that it's the high priest who's doing all the work. You sit down, be quiet, and let the high priest do his job. High priest has a lot of work to do. So, right, we talked about affliction. Why should we afflict ourselves? What's the value of afflicting ourselves? Right? Well. Uh, we already read most of the passage in our liturgy, but let's read it again, because we've got nothing better to do. Amen? Mm, nothing better to do than the public reading of the scriptures. So, open your books with me to Yeshayahu, the prophet Isaiah. We'll actually start a little bit before what you read, but it is relevant, so start in chapter 57, verse 14, and we'll go through the end of... Uh, Chapter 58, and one will say, build it up, heap it up, prepare the way, take the stumbling block out of the way of my people. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. For I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry, for the spirit would fail before me. And the souls which I have made. For the iniquity of his covetousness, I was angry and I struck him. I hid and I was angry. And he went on backsliding in the way of his heart. I have seen his ways and I will heal him. I will also lead him and restore comforts to him and to his mourners. I create the fruit of the lips. Peace to him who is far off and peace to him is near, says the Lord. Blessed be he. And I will heal him. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet, tell my people their transgression, tell the house of Jacob their sins, for they seek me daily. They delight to know my ways, like a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask me for ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching God, right? Note the sarcasm, right? He's pouring it on thick right here. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure. You exploit your laborers. You fast for strife and debate. You strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. Is this the fast that I have chosen? a day for a man to afflict his soul, to bow his head like a bulrush, to spread out sackcloth and ashes. Would you call this a fast, an acceptable day to Adonai? Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke, to share your bread with the hungry, to bring into your house the poor who are cast out. When you see them naked, that you cover them, that you do not hide yourself from your own flesh. Pay attention, this is important. Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of Adonai shall be your rear guard. You will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry, he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry, and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness will be like noonday. Adonai will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought. He will strengthen your bones, and you will be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you will build up the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you will be called repairer of the breach, restorer of sweets. Streets, excuse me, to dwell in. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of Adonai honorable, and if you honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father for the mouth of the Lord. Spoken. So, what does he expect from our fast? You heard it there, right? You heard it. Close my Bible, then I want to reopen it so I can read it to you again, right? He expects, right? What does he expect? Well, he expects your light to break forth like the morning. I'm quoting from verse 8 here Your light to break forth from the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your, righteous, your righteousness shall go before you. Right? Again, note the language. Right? Let's be careful with our grammar. He doesn't say that you will make your righteousness spring up. He could have said that. He doesn't say that you will you know, magically heal yourselves, nor does he say that you will be righteous. No. Read it again. Right? He says, Then your light shall break forth like the morning Your healing shall spring forth speedily and your righteousness shall go before you. So he expects from this fast, he expects light, he expects healing, he expects righteousness. Open your Bibles, if you would please, to John. The Gospel according to John, the third chapter, the 16th verse, we'll start there. That's a good place to start. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. Warning. He that does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light came into the world, but men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. The expectation of light that the prophet lists here, the expectation of light is the manifestation of none other than the Son of God. Healing, right? He expects healing. Open if you would please. The gospel according to Matthew, the 8th chapter. We'll start in verse 16. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. He cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled that which was spoken by the Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Right. That it also might be fulfilled, right, now the Bible doesn't say this, I'm adding to it, I'm commenting on it, excuse me, <clears throat> the, that it also might be fulfilled what the prophet Isaiah said right here, right, that uh, your healing will spring forth speedily. Right. So what does God expect from this fast? He expects light, manifestation of the Son of God, and he expects healing, yet another manifestation of the Son of God. finally. Right? We heard about light. We heard about healing. Your righteousness will go before you. Right? That's God's expectation of what's happening here. Right? So, open please to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Start in verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame those which are mighty, and the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not, to bring to nothing those things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him, you are in the Messiah, Yeshua, who became for us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, let he who glorifies, let him glory in the Lord. So, our righteousness, our healing, our light, these are the things that God expects this fast to, success, to successfully bring to us. Right? This fast, this, this day of atonement, this Yom Kippur, this is all about Yeshua ben Yosef minatseret, Jesus from Nazareth. It's all about him. That's what this is about, and that's what we are, I don't know if I want to use the word celebrating. It's not really a celebration, right? That's, what we are, that's why we are afflicting ourselves. That's what's happening right here. So, again, right, um, another point that I want to make, let's see, is uh, not only does Paul agree with me that he is our righteousness, let's open to the prophet Jeremiah. He's going to agree as well. Right? Jeremiah is going to say, in Jeremiah 33, starting in verse 14, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord that I will perform the good thing which I have promised to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. That's good news. That's amazingly good news. In those days and at that time, I will cause to grow up to David a branch of righteousness. He shall execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. Uh, any, any question on to whom we're referring here? No? Okay, good, we'll continue. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell safely. And this is the name of what she will be called, the Lord our righteousness. So again, the expectation, the expectation of the successful completing of this fast, right? A true fast. A true fast when we, when we do these mitzvot, Right? The, the expectation is that, uh, is that you... Um, that you have light, that you have healing, you have righteousness. And all of those things we have through none other than our master, Jesus of Nazareth. The words of the prophets, if this, then this. You can uh, can name it and claim it. Now, um, that's, that's not intended as a not intended as blasphemy. I'm sorry. Let me, let me make a side note. All right, the the, the name it and claim it prosperity gospel, the, the so-called prosperity gospel. All right, absolute, absolute heresy. Um, it has it has no business in the body of Messiah. It is a sin. It is vile. It confuses people. I know that there are people in this congregation that have been harmed by that nonsense. Right? Prosperity. No. Let, let, let's deviate for just a moment. Right? We got plenty of time. What? Uh, I got your prosperity gospel right here. Let's. Uh, where's the? Where's the? I didn't look this up, but um, somewhere in Hebrews, right? Great cloud of witnesses, right? Let's talk Okay. Here we go. Here's your prosperity gospel. They were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings. Yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, they were destitute, afflicted, that's interesting, they were tormented, where am I? Is that 10? 11? That, that's your prosperity gospel. Who wants to sign up for that? Yeah? Okay, well, let's read on. The world was not worthy of them. Prosperity gospel. Absolute garbage. Right? You, you certainly don't want to afflict yourselves if you've got a prosperity gospel. Absolute nonsense. Absolute heresy. What did our master say? In this world... You will have riches, wealth, and health, right? Is that what he said? No. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer. Why should I be of good cheer, Lord? Why should I be happy about that? Be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. If some fool, if some liar, if some wolf in sheep's clothing comes to you and tells you that the gospel means you're going to be rich, healthy, and athletic, tell him to come look at Joe George. Heavens, right? If I tell you that, I'm bringing my own contradiction with me. If it's true, then it's false. And if it's false, then it's false. So take your stupid prosperity gospel, shine it up really nice, turn it sideways, and and sing a hymn. Because I don't want to speak something vile from the Bema. Heavens. One of the things that we get to do when we believe the gospel is that we get to afflict ourselves. There is no prosperity gospel. You store up riches in the world to come, not in this world. All right. Sorry, that was a a deviation, but um, perhaps a necessary one. If you preach that nonsense, you heard it here first, then in heaven there is a seeing eye, there is a hearing ear, and there is a writing hand, and that should keep you up at night if you are lying to the body of Messiah. Alright, sorry, it irritates me. Alright, notice, right, again, who does all the work on Yom Kippur? The high priest, right? Uh, You do no work, right? And when he talks about the fast that is acceptable to him and the results coming from that fast, those results are not something that you do. Those results are something that will happen, They will happen to the glory of God the Father through the work of God the Son. They don't happen because of something you did. High priest does all the work. Also, notice in that same passage, let's read it just to make the emphasis. In Isaiah 57. We'll start in verse 15. Thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is Holy, I dwell in a high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit. Also, if you noticed, in the Leviticus passage, the high priest, when he went into the holy place, he was just wearing a plain linen garment. It was a humble garment. He was not decked out in all his beautiful raiment. He was wearing a plain, humble linen garment. I dwell in a high and lofty place and with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones for I will not contend forever nor will I always be angry for the spirit would fail before me and the souls which I have made. For the iniquity of his covetousness I was angry and I struck him. I hid and I was angry. He went on backsliding in the way of his heart. I have seen his ways and I will heal him. I will also lead him and restore comforts to him and to his mourners. I create the fruit of the lips. Peace to him who is far off, and peace to him who is near. So turn, please, to Ephesians 2. This scripture was fulfilled in your hearing. Not right now, but years ago. with the coming of our master. Ephesians. It's right before Galatians. All right. No, Galatians is before Ephesians. Okay, Ephesians 2, starting in verse 14, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, and broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, the law of commandments and ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, referencing Jews and Gentiles here. All right. uh, making peace that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. The words of the prophets fulfilled in your hearing. Another reason, why why is affliction good? Why are we told to do this? right? Well, affliction can lead to the restoration of the covenant. Allow me to explain. There is a rabbinic tradition. Uh, I do not find it supported in the scriptures. Neither do I find it uh, contradicted in the scriptures. But the rabbinic tradition is that on the first day of the month of Elul, Moshe Rabbeinu went back up the mountain to get the second set of tablets. So if he went back up on the first day of Elul, he would be coming back down today on Yom Kippur, right? Bringing with him the commandments to renew the covenant, right? This is the covenant that children of Israel broke. Moses was up there 40 days and 40 nights, right? Getting a set of tablets written by the very finger of God, traditionally cut, again, traditionally from the, from the rabbis, cut from the very throne of God himself, Right? So Moses goes back up after that failure, Moses goes back up to get the second set that is uh, made out of rock, bring them back down, and again, that traditionally happens on Yom Kippur, that uh, we get the covenant back again. Uh, open with me, if you will, to uh, Psalm 119. I'll uh, we'll just go ahead and read the whole thing. Not really. God, that's right, got nothing better to do, says Philip. No, uh, we will not read the whole thing of the longest chapter in the Bible. It will only seem like it. We'll start in verse 65. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and you do good. Teach me your statutes. The proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep your precepts with my whole heart. Their heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. Your hands made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding, that I might learn your commandments. Those who fear you will be glad when they see me, because I have hoped in your word. I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. And then skip over to verse 92. Unless your law had been my delight, I would then have perished in my affliction. Right? Affliction teaches us Torah. Right? An important part of the new covenant brought in by our master. Right? Spoken of by the prophet Jeremiah. Right? An important part of that covenant is that he will write his Torah on our hearts. And part of affliction is affliction is what does that, as you've heard it read from the scriptures. So, to prove the point, let's turn to Jeremiah 31. This is awesome. The New Covenant. What New Covenant are you talking about? Well, let's read about it. The terms of the New Covenant found in Jeremiah 31. We'll start in verse 31. Behold, the days are coming says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. Now listen, this new covenant is contingent upon, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. So, the new covenant is contingent, contingent upon the forgiveness of sin. Right? The affliction is to teach us part of his Torah right? so that we can be part of this covenant. Again, we don't enter into the new covenant by our strength. We don't enter into it by our righteousness. Right? That righteousness was accomplished for us by another. Right? He is simply using this affliction to accomplish the terms of his new covenant, to put his Torah on our hearts. Right. So, uh, the writer of the book of Hebrews agrees with me. Open, please, to the book of Hebrews, the seventh chapter. You can never study Torah without reading the book of Hebrews. Never, never, never. Hebrews. Chapter 7. We'll start in verse 19. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, bringing in a better hope through which we draw near to God. Now, Notice, right, some of you might have, right, there is a better hope, right? That's not found in the scriptures, right? It's the law, it is the Torah that is bringing in this better hope, right? The there is, is, there is the bringing in of a better hope, right? That's added, and it should be italicized in your Bibles, right? Because it's not there, right? So it is the Torah that brings in the better hope. Right? And the writer of the book of Hebrews is going to explain that to us. So here we go. Inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, for they became priests without an oath, but he with an oath. Right? The, the Aaronic priests didn't have to deal with an oath. Right, He, our master, the high priest in the order of Melchizedek, this is how he was made a priest, with an oath. And he quotes, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Also, there are many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us. He is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and he has become higher than the heavens. He does not need daily, as those priests, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins, right? We read about that. And then for the people's, right? We read about that, right? We also read about how I'm explaining a little bit. This isn't in, right? He also had to, the priest had to make atonement for the tabernacle, he had to make atonement for the altar. Everything was unclean, right? And the writer of the book of Hebrews is telling us that our master doesn't have to do that. He's already clean, he makes us clean. As he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priest men who have weakness. But the word of an oath which came after the law appoints the son who has been perfected forever. And now, this is the point of the things that we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. A minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. For if he was on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the Torah, who serve the copy and the shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, see that you make all these things according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also the mediator of a better covenant which was established on better premises. Remember the premise, the premises of that covenant is taking away their sins. If you disagree with me, keep reading because the writer of the book of Hebrews quotes the exact same passage that we just talked about from Jeremiah. Right? Taking away sins. That's what we are observing. That's why we are afflicting ourselves today. He was afflicted to take away our sins. On one day out of the year, we afflict ourselves so that we can remember exactly what he did. All right, so speaking of him being afflicted, let's open, of course, as we always should, to the gospel according to Isaiah. The gospel according to Isaiah. You say you've never heard of that. It actually exists. Open to Isaiah 52. The servant's song. Of course, we're going to read this. gospel from the anglo-saxon good spell which means good news the gospel according to isaiah will start isaiah 52 verse 13 behold my servant shall deal prudently he shall be exalted and extolled and be very high just as many were astonished at you so his visage was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men So he shall sprinkle many nations. Wait a second. Wasn't there a high priest sprinkling something? Ah, I think so. Okay. He will sprinkle many nations. It's the same word in the Hebrew, by the way. Kings will shut their mouths at him for what they had not been told they will see and what they had not heard they shall consider. Who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of Adonai been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground he had no form or comeliness that when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs, he has carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and, you guessed it, afflicted. But he was wounded, why? Why? For our transgressions, he was bruised. Why? For our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned away everyone to his own way, and Adonai has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth, He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. This is recorded in the Gospels. Why didn't he open his mouth? Because as our representative, he he was there as our representative. He was taking our sins, carrying our iniquities. He didn't have any of his own. Why was he silent at his trial? He could have spoken up, Or he could have called the dozen legions of angels that he had on speed dial. Why did he not do that? Because as our representative, if you stand before God, brothers and sisters, if you stand before God on trial, you will have nothing to say. You will have no defense. He had every defense he needed. right? But as our high priest, as one who is mediating between man and God, as one who is successfully doing, as the last Adam, who's doing what the first Adam didn't do, couldn't do, as one who is truly going to stand as a representative of humanity, that's why he was being silent. Because if you stand before God, you're going to be like Job and just say, I'm done. I'm going to put my hand over my mouth. There's nothing for you to say as a sinner in front of a holy God. That's why he did this. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. They made his grave with the wicked, but with a rich man at his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, and he has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin... He will see his seed, he will prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. I'm one of them. I hope you are. For he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he will divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and he made intercession for the transgressors. That's good news. The gospel according to Isaiah. So, affliction. Affliction. His affliction is the price of your salvation. So we spend one day a year remembering that, remembering the work that he did. Right? Because keep in mind, right, the, the things that were happening in the temple and the things that will one day happen again in the temple, the temple is going to be rebuilt, sacrifice will be restored, per the words of the prophets. Right? Those things are not the real thing, right? They are a shadow. So uh, open, if you will, please, to uh, Hebrews 10, starting in verse 1. For the Torah, having a shadow of the good things to come, not the very image of those things, can never, with these same sacrifices, which they continually offer year by year, make those who approach perfect. Why then would they have not ceased to be offered for the worshipers, once purified, would have no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. That's what we're doing today. We're being reminded. Your sin is expensive. Your sin costs the affliction of the righteous one, Jesus of Nazareth. That's what it costs to get you out of your sin, to deliver you. All of you who would, would accept what he's done. All of us who would accept what he's done. That's what it cost. That's why we afflict ourselves only one day a year. Let's keep reading. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Right. The stuff that the priest was doing was very important. Why was it important? It was a shadow. Yeah, it was a shadow the shadow of what was actually taking place in the holy place, the true holy place, the heavenly holy place. Right? And what was actually taking place is our master and our mediator, who is true man, taking his blood before the mercy seat, the true mercy seat in heaven, and getting mercy for every one of us, for everything that we've ever done. And God misses nothing. Amen? Alright. So, affliction reminds us, ironically, of the work that was done on another one of the Moedim, right, that was done on Passover, approximately 2,000 years ago, at a place called Golgotha, the place of the skull. That's what the affliction does. Uh, One note, one note that I'd like to bring in is that, uh, you know, when we are, when we are renewing the covenant, the covenant comes with terms, right? Covenants come with terms. Right, so I'd like to uh, read to you a quote from uh, Victor Frankel, uh, from Victor Frankel's *Man's Search for Meaning*, where he says, "Freedom, right? Because this this covenant is bringing us freedom, right? It's bringing us freedom by releasing us from sins, right? But this is why we're restoring the covenant, and this is why that Torah is supposed to be written on our hearts as part of this covenant, put in our minds, written on our hearts as part of this covenant. So." Viktor Frankl, who says that freedom, however, is not the last word. Freedom is only part of the story and half of the truth. Freedom is but the negative aspect of the whole phenomenon whose positive aspect is responsibleness. In fact, freedom is in danger of degradation into mere arbitrariness unless it is lived in terms of responsibleness. That is why I recommend that the Statue of Liberty on the East Coast be supplemented by a Statue of Responsibility on the West Coast. Right? Now, that's Viktor Frankl from his book uh, Man's Search for Meaning. It's a classic. If you haven't read it, it's pretty quick, easy read. You should read it. Right? But this man, right, he's showing, again, a, right, a Holocaust survivor. Right? Actually, one of the stories he tells in this book is uh, on one of the last days of the war when they were about to be liberated, uh, the, uh, some members of the SS showed up and said, oh, we're gonna take you to link you up with the Red Cross. And he was on the list, right? The list is all that matters, right? He was on the list, and then he got pulled off the list. So he had to stay in the concentration camp another day. And um, it turns out that the people who were on that list did get taken somewhere else, but they got locked in a burning, in, uh, a burning building and murdered right, by the SS. So uh, um, there were many deliverances he experienced one of them at that point in time. Right? Again, uh, you know, one of these uh, one of these things I warned you about earlier, right? Non-scriptural source, but it shows you that human beings understand that right, when, we are, when we are set free, there's a covenant there, and there's law that needs to accompany that covenant. <clears throat> Finally, liberty, right? Durur. I said we talk about uh, the Hebrew word durur, it's translated liberty. So let's talk about liberty and we'll, uh, we'll finish this. Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is a day of affliction. It is a day of covering, right? So we afflict ourselves. We remember the reflection of our master, right? We honor the affliction of our master because it is by that affliction that our sins are forgiven, right? Yom Kippur is a day of covering, right? The forgiving of sins happened because of what he did. Finally, Yom Kippur is a day of freedom it is a day of liberty so question when did our liberty when did our liberty first get set in writing when was our liberty written down All right now our liberty as the human race was first written down when the almighty blessed be he spoke to our mother eve Right? the Proto-Evangelion found in Genesis 3.15, right? when he said he told Eve, who had just finished sinning, don't worry, there's a snake crusher coming. Right? That serpent that has deceived humankind since the very beginning is going to get crushed by the seed of a woman. Right? So that's, that's the first prophecy of our liberty. Right? That's, that's not my question. We as a culture, the American culture, when uh, when did our liberty first get written down? It's kind of a trick question, but I want an answer. When? What year? 1776. That is an excellent guess, and it is wrong. How about 1619? No, again wrong. Any other? When was the Constitution ratified? 1789? Okay. It is true the U.S. Constitution was ratified in 1789. However, that is not when our liberties got written down. When were our liberties first written down? Trick question. How about 1215? 1215, that's right, the Great Charter of English Liberties. So, the Great Charter of English Liberties... 1215, on the battlefields of Runnymede, England. John. Right? So uh, Sir Winston Churchill has a great quote. He says, we owe more to John and all of his failings than to all of the great kings of England. And the reference there is, of course, to the great charter of English liberties, the Magna Carta. What's the first line in the Magna Carta? And I quote, "In perpetuum, quod Anglicana Ecclesia Liberia sit, et habeat omnia jura sua integra et libertates suas elesas. So, uh, if your atinlay is a little equay, that uh, I, I had to have my daughter help me out with that. Actually, my my atinlay is equay as well. The church of England shall be forever free and have all her rights entire and her liberties inviolate. That is the first thing, right? Our ancestors, our cultural ancestors understood that man is only free when he is right with God. And that's the first thing that they wrote into the great charter of English liberties. It is still in force today, right? You know, our ancestors, who in 1776 declared their independence, were basing their arguments on that document, right? Including, if you read in that document, the oppression of religious liberty laws that we had in this country, right? Man is not free until he is at peace with God. Another question, what's written on the Liberty Bell? Liberty. We want to talk about liberty. What's written on the Liberty Bell? What's that? In God We Trust. Let me see if I can do my Trump impersonation. Wrong. That That's a pretty good Trump, wasn't it? Right. That was good. You gotta admit that's a good Trump. Wrong. What's that? Proclaim liberty throughout the land and to all the inhabitants thereof. Kim is correct, he gets the prize. What's the prize, you might say? Well, the prize is that we get to open to the book of Leviticus and read from the scriptures. Leviticus 25. Interestingly enough, this topic, I I didn't find any modern commentators talking about this. I had to go back to no less than the prince of preachers, Charles Spurgeon, to find him agreeing with me so that you know that he's right but uh this is this is valuable let's read wrapping it up we're almost done blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied and you shall count seven sabbaths of years for yourself seven times seven years and the time of seven sabbaths of years shall be to you 49 years then you shall cause the trumpet of jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement, you shall make the trumpet sound throughout all your land, and you shall consecrate the fiftieth year, and proclaim liberty throughout the land and to all the inhabitants thereof. It shall be a jubilee for you, and each of you shall return to his possession. Each of you shall return to his family. That fiftieth year will be a jubilee to you, and it you will neither sow nor reap what grows of its own accord, or gather the grapes of your untended vine, for it is a jubilee, it will be holy to you, and you shall eat produce from the field. In the year of jubilee, each of you shall return to his possession. If you sell anything to your neighbor or buy your neighbor's land, you shall not oppress one another. That's the gospel according to Moses. All right. The gospel according to Moses. After Yom Kippur. Now, think about it, right? Why is it that we are declaring liberty? Right? So if, if someone is poor, if he had to sell himself as a, a slave, right? if he had to sell some of his land, right? then after Yom Kippur, after the priest had done everything necessary, right? the goat had been taken away by a faithful man, right? released into the wilderness, after all that had happened, we're going to blow a trumpet and we're going to pr- proclaim liberty. Why? Right? We could have proclaimed liberty at Pesach. Right? Why not? That's the time when we were when we were liberated from Egypt, right? Why not proclaim liberty then? Right? Messiah was executed over Pesach, right? And of course, he rose during the Pesach season, amen. Right? So why not proclaim liberty there? Right? What about uh, Shavuot? Right? Pentecost. The Spirit fell on Pentecost. Why not proclaim liberty there? Right? We're, we're blowing trumpets all the time. Why not proclaim liberty on Yom Shofarim, Rosh Hashanah, the day of trumpets? Right? Why not? Because until you are right with God, you are not free. You are slave to sin. But once your sin has been dealt with, then and only then do we blow that trumpet and do we declare freedom. Proclaim liberty throughout the land and to all the inhabitants thereof. That's when we do it. Right, again, right? Notice in there, not only are we setting people free. All right, you're free. Go away, right? Every man is to return to his family. Return, return, return to his possession. Return to his people and return to his liberty. And all of these things All of these things are things that God wants you to have. God wants you to have good things. God wants you to be free. He wants you. I mean, the the scriptures talk about, you know, he has predestined these things from before the foundation of the world. He wants you to have freedom. He created a world that was perfect, that had no sin. He created a world that had no pain. It had no suffering. All you had to do was pick fruit and eat it and take care of the animals we mess that up but he has something that he wants to give each and every one of you it is your rightful possession and only after your sin is forgiven then we blow the trumpet and every man returns to what is rightfully his amen alright so open with me if you would please, to uh, yet again, the prophet Yeshayahu, Isaiah, Isaiah sixty-one, Isaiah sixty-one, verses one through three. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Right? This is what's happening here, right? Notice, notice a few things. We are proclaiming liberty to the captives. When do we proclaim liberty? After your sins are forgiven. There is no liberty. There is no liberty. There is no liberty. Well, you are a slave to sin. Slaves don't have liberty. Anyone who sins is a slave to sin. Slaves don't have liberty. right? Liberty is for free men. Any questions? We're not confused on that, right? Not, not going too fast? You have no liberty until your sins are forgiven. Then you have liberty. Right? The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me to, among other things, proclaim liberty to the captives. right? And again, to give them the things that they should have, right? We're going to come for those who mourn in Zion. We're going to give them the oil of joy instead of the mourning that they have right now, right? Also, we're preaching good tidings to the poor, healing the brokenhearted, all right? I see poor people here. I see brokenhearted people here, right? And I've got good news for poor people and brokenhearted people. Your sins are forgiven, Now it's time to blow that trumpet and proclaim liberty throughout the land and all the inhabitants thereof. Right. So who is it that did this? Right. You know where I'm going with this. Right. Uh, just one other thing to note. Right? The, um, right. It says to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Right. To proclaim that jubilee year and the day of vengeance for our God. All right. Careful. Careful. That hasn't happened yet. Be warned, it is coming. Now, open, if you will, with me to Luke, fourth chapter. This is amazing. Luke, the fourth chapter. We'll start in verse 14. Now, as a note, right, this happens immediately after the master goes out into the wilderness, right? In the wilderness, he Fasts, he eats nothing for 40 days. Right? So if you think you're hungry, don't talk to me. Right? And, and the, scriptures, the scriptures are very helpful here. They tell us that at the end of it, he was hungry. Right? So if you were curious after a 40-day fast, he was hungry. Verse 14, then, right, and remember, he was tempted during that time. The accuser, the accuser told him, he said, Look at all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. They've been given to me. I will give them to you if you bow down and worship me. All right. At that point in time, our master argued with him and said, no, they really haven't been given to you. No, that's not what happened. All right. The kingdoms of this world right now are in the possession of the accuser. All right. There's coming a day when every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess to our master. And the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his anointed one. Amen. I think I read that somewhere. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and the news of Him went out through the surrounding region. He taught in their synagogues. He was glorified by all, and He came to Nazareth, where He had been brought up. As His custom was, He went into the synagogue on Yom HaShabbat. He was handed the book of the prophet Yeshayahu, and when He opened the book, He found the place where it is written. You've heard it, right? You know what's coming. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him and he spoke to them saying, Today, as you have heard it, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Amazing, right? To be there in that synagogue, to hear that preached. Mm. Someday, someday. Note a few things, right? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Literally, the Hebrew there is he has meshachad me. He has messiahed me. So it's no surprise that our Messiah read from that passage. And it's no surprise that that passage refers to him. And it is beyond doubt, that he has a just claim to fulfill that passage in their hearing, right? Second of all, note, he did not talk about the day of vengeance. That's coming, that's coming, the day of vengeance is coming, but right now, we live in an age of grace. There's coming a day when that grace will come to an end, right? So, you don't want to be a slave when that time comes to an end, You want to be set free you want to be set free how do you get set free you get set free when your sins are forgiven amen Amen. all right so let's talk about some true freedom and you know where this is going as well open to John the gospel according to John let's see we read from the gospel according to Luke we read from the gospel according to Moses we read from the gospel according to Isaiah now we will read from the gospel according to John starting in verse 31 Jesus said to those Jews who had believed in him If you abide in my word, you're my disciples truly, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered to him, We're Abraham's descendants. We've never been in bondage to anyone. How can you tell us? You'll be made free. Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you that whoever commits a sin is a slave of sin. Hashtag not free. A slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore... If the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Amen? Amen. So, it's time to blow the shofar. Lisa, will you come help us out? It's time to blow the trumpet, right? We don't have a good accounting of what year is uh, truly the Jubilee year, right? But we know that a Jubilee rest has been provided to us by our Master, Yeshua ben Yosef minatzeret. We also know that our sins have been forgiven. Forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. Once and for all, done. We know the commandment is to blow the trumpet and proclaim freedom, proclaim liberty throughout the land and to all the inhabitants thereof. So in a few moments, Lisa is going to blow the trumpet for us and do exactly that. Please, 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 if you have not, if you do not trust our master, now is the time. Now is the time. Listen to the commandment. What's the commandment? The commandment is that we're going to blow this trumpet and everyone's going to return to his family, return to his possession Return to his liberty. We do need, you know, of course, we can't talk about return, return, return. We can't talk about these things without reading from uh, the 55th chapter of Isaiah. Again, the gospel according to Isaiah. Seek the Lord while he may be found. That's commandment. Call upon him while he is near. Commandment. Let the wicked forsake his ways. Let the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him, what? Return to the Lord. And he will Not maybe, not inshallah. All right. Our Muslim friends, they are wrong. He will. It's not a matter of if. If he's in a good mood that day, no, it's not a matter. He will pardon. Our Mormon friends, our, our Mormon friends are so wrong. You thought this sermon was long. Let me tell you how wrong our Mormon friends are. Right? Our, you don't have to do weirdness and this and that and the other. No. But this is the commandment and this is the call. This is the call of your liberty. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. Let the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts. Let him return to Adonai and he will have mercy on him. And to our God... Why? Why are you returning? Why is God telling you to do this? For he will abundantly pardon. So, if you don't trust in him, this trumpet call is not for you. If you do trust in him, if your trust is in the God of Israel, hear the word of the Lord, you'll cause the trumpet of Jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month. This is the word of the true, undying, living, unchanging God. You will cause the trumpet of Jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, you shall make the trumpet sound throughout the land. You will consecrate the fiftieth year. You will proclaim liberty to all the land and all the inhabitants thereof.